When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 135, Creating a Browser for Developers uh, with Killian Valkov. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week, like I just said, we have Killian Valkov on the podcast to talk about Polypane, a browser made for developers. So it should interest you, interest a bunch of you out there. Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or just straight up share this with your friends. And uh, I also have a note in here about the, once again, the weekly goals public Trello Go check that out. The link is somewhere on our Twitter. Yes, I know that's not helpful. Somewhere on our Twitter. Um, and if you're listening to this in the far future, I don't know what the status of it is. I just realized that that's probably like some people are going to be like, what? <laughs> like, wh- what are you talking about? But anyway, uh, Mike is working away on that. So you can come go and check out his progress on the weekly goals app on that public Trello board. Now, today we'll be talking, as I said, with Killian Valkov, a front-end developer, user experience designer, and generalist. He builds tools for developers and designers and likes to write uh, about his development process, design tools, and accessibility. He's recently created a browser for developers called Polypane, which shows the developer how their website will look on multiple screen sizes at the same time. It packs in other great features, uh, but let's just jump into our interview here where we, we will discuss the project in detail as well as a little bit about uh, a SaaS or software as a service as well. All right, everyone, we have uh, Killian Valkov on the line here. Um, we're going to be talking a bunch about uh, software as a service, SaaS, as it's otherwise known, as well as a browser that he made. Now, I'm particularly interested in the browser because I remember back in the high school days or my high school days, we used to play with, I guess it must have been IE, like Internet Explorer web views and visual basic and you could like put buttons and controls around them to kind of make your own browser so i'm especially interested to see uh you know how he made this uh as well as the obviously the business side of things so uh killian welcome to the show and uh you know take it away you know what are you currently up to uh what's up and uh, how's it going hey guys thanks for having me um well i'm killian um as matt said i'm building a browser um which is a very weird thing to say, uh, you know, given that companies like Microsoft have basically given up on building a browser and they're now using Google stuff. Uh, but I'm, you know, still building a browser. Uh, beyond that, uh, I also build a bunch of other uh, web dev related applications. And uh, yeah, that's basically what I, what I spent my time on. Awesome. Yeah, great. So, yeah, thanks, yeah, so I'm interested. I'm super interested. So, um, have you, I have a question. This is a really random one. Have you ever used Visual Basic? No, no, I, I, I completely passed like the Visual Basic stage, I guess. 
Okay. Um, like like most people that end up being web developers, uh, I started out wanting to be a game developer. Okay. So uh, I managed to convince my dad to buy me the Borland C++ compiler. Um, okay. And uh, very quickly gave up on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I remember having a, like a book uh, because that, there weren't video tutorials back then but I had like a book um, and chapter 1 and 2 were super easy they were like you know print characters to the terminal and then exit the application uh, and then chapter 3 began with use bit shifting to create a chessboard um, and you know, at that point, I just kind of gave up. Um, and around the same time, I discovered front page. And it turned out that, you know, building websites in front page would allow me to create something visual much quicker than whatever bit shifting was. Um, so I just kind of made that switch and only got back to desktop applications much later. Okay, because the reason why I ask is, uh, I know I know it's just kind of random, but I've been asking people uh, as I talk to them here and there, or like developers specifically, because I remember back in my high school days, again, uh, that was like what people said to learn on. So it was like, hey, you know, use basic. Mm -hmm. It's literally basic. And we started with <laughs> QBasic, uh, which is, I think, a DOS program. And then we went to Visual Basic, which has like the visual components of like I presume it's the .NET framework. It's like the Microsoft components, like their style buttons and such at the time. And then I, I just, it just kind of faded away. And when I, when we started talking or when Mike said, Hey, this guy's baking a browser, when we were first kind of doing introductions, I was thinking, well, I remember doing that. And so I thought, you know, that'd be kind of an interesting thing to ask because I don't hear anyone and, it, you know, I haven't been out of high school that long, you know, under 20 <laughs> years. And I don't hear anyone talking about like, Hey, if you want to start learning to code, go to basic or start QBasic mm -hmm. or whatever. I don't hear that at all anymore. So I think maybe we've moved on from that, but moved on quickly as it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, we just never really had like basic at school or, or anything. So uh, could also just be like a, you know, different country type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we did go very deep into the access database uh, at my high school, um, which, you know, is also still useless. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, is, I, deprecated, I think, is the last thing I heard about it. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> don't quote me on that, but. It seems high yeah, school no really, really chose random languages to learn. Uh I believe I luckily I think the first language that I actually used in high school was HTML. So that was somewhat relative to what I'm mm. doing now. Um just building like a basic site. Uh but then later we also I think used Visual Basic. And uh it was already at that point super outdated. So I don't know why that was. Um and I mean C++, you were using C++, that's a rel relevant language. I know that wasn't in high school, Killian, but uh, regardless, um, it's a relevant language. But again, it's just to start with C++. Yeah, that, is that crazy. was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least you got an idea of the base of like how this stuff 
actually works on the like the very low end side our yeah. our usual thing in this podcast and just with our audience is like it's really good idea to start at the lowest level you possibly can when you're learning something so with javascript html and css we mm-hmm. always recommend to kind of start in the uh just the basic language like don't you know don't start with the framework don't start with any uh libraries just start with building a site or building a simple web app with javascript css and html and then when you go in and jump to a different frameworks you kind of can see how those frameworks utilize the skills that you've already learned to achieve it better faster easier and stuff like that yeah yeah i agree though that's not really the path i took uh just like i basically bounced from WYSIWYG to jquery um but i think like nowadays it's it's much easier to say you know you can just use javascript because the apis behave exactly the same in in all the browsers um whereas you know when when i got started if you wanted to do something with an element each browser had its own special way of finding that element uh, and jQuery sort of papered over all of that. Uh, and actually, I, like I, I recently saw they they released a new version of jQuery, so that it's still going. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think I think like in terms of starting with the basics, you could do a lot worse than jQuery. And I think it it can really help with like finding the mental model for how to work with HTML and CSS in JavaScript, uh, it, like especially compared to something like React and, and Angular, which are just completely their own thing. Whereas jQuery, like in its basics, it's just like find an element, then do something with the element, which is what like regular JavaScript when you interact with the DOM also is. I think you're right there, like, because I remember we were trying to, like, way in the beginning when the business wasn't even really, really a business, realistically, we were trying to, you know, learn JS and HTML, CSS. And the biggest hurdle, actually, in terms of our Googling specifically, was we would Google, like, hey, how do I address this, you know, in JavaScript? Or how do I, uh, uh, one of the biggest ones was, how do I do this, you know, Ajax request? And, you know, Ajax at least back then, you know, was way, way easier to understand from a mental model perspective in jQuery than this yeah. like XML request and like blah, blah, <laughs> blah. And you're just like, what? And like to this day, I just kind of have like a snippet I copy and then I kind of change stuff because it's just like you're not going to unless you do that every day. It's mm-hmm. one of those weird like strangely. I don't know if it's changed since, but back then it's like I, the way it's structured is just something I'm not I'm not going to commit that to memory since I don't use it every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but and and again, that has gotten so much simpler because uh, you you no longer have to do like an XML HTTP request with subtly different headers for each browser. Uh, you can just write fetch and then the URL, uh, and then you you get that URL if you have access to it, um, which is like much easier. Uh, even even if you if you get started, like that's that's relatively straightforward to 
uh, to understand. Like I, I get a URL and then I can, again, do something with it. Yeah. And yeah, you, you brought up a really good point, Killian, and I hadn't even thought about this. The idea of jQuery back in the day was to kind of make it uh, easier to use all these different browsers. They, they could obfuscate from, mm-hmm. you know, give you kind of an API to be able to, you know, search through the DOM or do something else. Yeah. And that is really what the new style of JavaScript, ES6 or ES5, is based on, right? Like it's it's becoming... Yeah what jQuery was already. So for us, we, we kind of, we did the JavaScript regular path, but we quickly switched to jQuery as well uh, in our projects. And mm-hmm. we used jQuery and learned jQuery really well. And then going back to regular JavaScript was like really easy once all the other, once all the APIs were approved uh, because we went through the jQuery path because jQuery kind of started that whole like, oh, you know, you can get all the, uh, Dom elements in this, and just put like a dot CSS, and you're good to go. Um, whereas before it was a little bit more complicated, and you had to do it per browser. Yeah, that's a cool. That's a cool insight. I never, I never thought about like about it like that. So props to jQuery for giving us Absolutely. the path, <laughs> the path to the right kind of JavaScript. Now, yes, now JavaScript has really caught up to what jQuery has, um, but. Absolutely, I love the Ajax portion of it uh, and Fetch. In my opinion, I mean it's pretty much what Ajax in jQuery was, right? Like it's, I mean, J- Fetch is better uh, in mm-hmm. a few different ways, and it's a little bit simpler, but it is definitely inspired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, if you put like a somewhat complicated Fetch or a piece of Fetch code next to a jQuery Ajax call, it's more or less the same. It's like you have the URL, you have your options, uh, which can be like, you know, I want to get requests, uh, I want to get JSON or XML or text and like these header type things. And it's 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 more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, which is, which is cool. So um, having said that, uh, I think now that we've talked a little bit about the origin story, uh, <laughs> which is cool. Let's move on to what you're currently kind of working on and what your main focus is, which is yeah. Polypane. Uh, I've had the pleasure of actually using it over the past week or so uh, with some of my personal projects, and it's been great. Um, just to just to give a quick overview, uh, and I'm just going to give the base feature, sure. Killian, and you can kind of go into some other uh, more intricate features, but it, it allows you to kind of program visual, not program visually, but see your application or website across multiple different uh, devices or or device sizes or whatever. So you kind of have your mobile phone there, your small tablet and your laptop views all present as you're coding. And if you have like, you know, um, a local dev server that auto reloads when you save something in your uh, in your code editor, it automatically populates on all of the different devices that you have open currently on the screen. Um, and it's really nifty. And it also kind of carries over interactions between the devices. So if you know, if you press on a web page on one device, it'll kind of pre-populate on all the other ones as well as scrolling. So it saves time in that way for me right now. That's kind of the base functionality that I've seen from it. It also has some interesting dev... Um, console functionality where it kind of pops up all the all this the requests that are happening and the logs as far as i understand 
Killian, you can kind of yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, right up on yeah, the screen that's like, right. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as they're happening. So, you know, if you load a web page, a bunch of requests are happening on the web page. All of those kind of pop up for you right on top of that web page in like little bubbles. And you can kind of hover over each one, see what's going on and see any errors that are coming back without even having to open up like the console logs or anything like that. I found that really cool as well. But having said that, I kind of want to pass it off to you to tell us, you know, what Polypane is. Uh, and kind of give your own perspective on what that uh, what you've created. Yeah, sure. So I I, I started working on Polypane uh, as a as a side project, uh, like in the in the past well decades or so. I've built a bunch of desktop applications to like solve my own problems uh, related to web development. Um, and uh, the particular problem that I, I tried to fix with Polypane was that I was getting really sick of resizing my browser all the time uh, because uh, it just felt like busy work, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to build a web page here. I'm not trying to like manage <laughs> where my browser window is. Um, and the reason I got annoyed by that was uh, I had recently switched over to Sketch for design work. Uh, and what you can do in Sketch, uh, which was really neat at the time, but now everyone does it, uh, is you can have artboards. Uh, and that basically meant you, had, you have an infinite canvas and you can put multiple artboards side by side. So I would use that to you know, have my mobile, tablet, and desktop view side by side. And that gave this really good overview for me of like what the site was going to be as I was designing it. Uh, and, and it also, like it really shows you like where you're inconsistent in ways that you don't see if you look at, at them one by one. So, you know, I was having a great time in Sketch and then I was going back to, uh, to my browser and then I was resizing and, and only looking at one screen at the time, uh, at the same time. So I created like this super simple application that was just like three fixed size iframes side by side uh, that loaded a fixed URL, my local host. Uh, and I started using that and like, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but what really made me, what really triggered me was that uh, I went back and looked at my hours and a website that used to take 20 hours now only took eight because I wasn't doing all that like management type work. Uh, so, you know, from there on, I just kept developing it and, you know, getting a sort of sense of like what type of management work I don't like to do. Uh, and then get getting the browser to you know do that for me. Uh, so it really grew from there. Uh, I started with like three fixed iframes, then I made them resizable. Uh, then I could add more. Uh, then I added screenshots, uh, and it just went on from there. Yeah, I mean it's it's a really interesting uh, solution to the problem. Uh, one really big thing that it helped me solve, uh, just to jump in with this, is 
you know those issues where like you kind of you're you're only you're only uh coding usually for one size so you're like okay i've coded mm-hmm. for mobile now i want to code for desktop or vice versa and what happens with me all the time, and I'm sure many people out there, is I'll code, I'll, I'll put some media queries, I'll put some responsive tags and stuff like that. And what will happen is I'll go back to the previous size that I was coding for, and everything's going to be kind of janked, or a few things are kind of janked, because yeah, I've gone and coded and coded and coded down. Yeah, there's so much duplicate work when, when you get down to it, because like every page you add, you have to check all the other pages again in all the sizes uh, so it's really easy to overlook stuff and you're constantly like resizing back or you know sizing down uh, at least that's that's what i was doing um, and if if you just see all of them all the time then there's really no need to do any of that yeah, and you catch your mistakes so quickly, right? Like, because if you go down mm-hmm. the rabbit hole of like working on the small on the mobile side, and you make a bunch of janky mistakes on for the uh, large side, laptop or computer size, yeah. um, it's going to kind of carry over. And as you go through, then you're going to have to go back and be like, okay, not only was this a mistake, but because I made this, this, and this, <laughs> and this, it was kind of st- starts carrying through. And that's where I see I saw the time savings immediately. Yeah. Like the fr- maybe in the first hour that I was using Polypane, um, I, w- I had that situation happen to me where I mm-hmm. made a mistake on the mobile side uh, that kind of carried over to the large screens and everything was jank, but I immediately saw it. So th- that was one of the really big positives that I saw from Polypane mm-hmm. uh, right off the bat, which is kind of su- kind of surprised me because I didn't think that that would be a um, something that it would solve, even though yeah. it's obvious. Yeah, so that, like that that specific moment is really the the aha moment I I want people to experience, uh, and that's also why uh, like in Polypane I like one of the first features I added during the 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 beta versions was that I started parsing the CSS myself as well. So I could extract the viewports or the media queries that websites were using. So that with like with one click, you could show all the media queries you were designing for. Because that very quickly tells you if you're actually going through all those media queries. And also if you're like on page three and you need to fix this tiny little thing because it, it doesn't look quite right and you add a like an in-between media query. Uh, I, I, like at that point, you don't realize that you might have to check your other pages again, specifically for that media query. Uh, and that just made it really obvious like where, where the gaps were. Uh, and like, it's so much better to you know, as you mentioned, fix that in the first hour rather than, you know, fix that after the client finds out after the website has gone live. So I I actually have a question about about this then. So like, it sounds like this is like a super powerful tool, helps helps with workflow, helps people that uh, specifically web developers that want to, you know, maximize their productivity and and their workflows and all that. But what about how do all of these features, because there are a lot, how do all mm-hmm. these features sort of um, help or hurt 
the beginner developer? Because as a developer, when you're just getting started, you know, your your thoughts aren't there yet. Like you're not thinking, yeah. man, I better get those six media queries sorted. <laughs> you're just sort of like, where the hell did my hello world go? You know, how yeah. do I get this to display? So how how does it how does Polypane help or hurt the beginning dev? Right. So that that's a really wide question, uh, but I'll. I'll explain one of the like the tenets that I that I have for Polypane, uh, which is that I want to be prescriptive and not descriptive. Uh, and, and what I mean with that is, like, if you're a web developer, there are hundreds of tools that will tell you, like, everything you're doing wrong. Like, right. you know, you can just Google any random tool and it will happily tell you, like, all the things you're doing wrong with your website, um, which is useful, of course, but it can also be like demotivating and uh, and off-putting. So I think I like I consider that to be descriptive. Whereas with Polypane, I really try to like also point out what people are doing wrong. But then immediately say like, but try this instead. Um, so like, for example, uh, I do color contrast checking in the browser, which is uh, if you have a, a text color and a background color, you want there to be enough contrast between those two that it's comfortably uh, comfortable to read for everyone. Mm -hmm. And there's there's some math formulas uh, to get that right. Uh, and what most contrast checkers do is they just tell you if it has enough contrast or not. Um, and then, you know, you have to go back to the designer and say, hey, designer, you did it wrong. Give me a better color, which is not something you want to do as a, a junior developer. And honestly, also not something you, you want to do as a, as a more senior developer either. Um, and the nice thing about these colors is that it's all math, right? So the, you can compare the colors with a math function, but that also means that you can figure out like for a color, how much darker or how much lighter should it be compared to the background color to have enough contrast. So what Polypane does is if it finds contrast issues, it calculates the color that does have enough contrast and it suggests that color to you. So if you have like very light gray on uh, on white, it will just bump up the gray, the darkness of the text color until it has enough contrast and it will give you that color code. And you can just, you know, copy it into your CSS or bring it to your designer, which is a much nicer experience. You can just say, hey, my, my browser, told me that this color would be better, uh, which is again, nice because then it's not you bringing the bad news. It's the computer <laughs> bringing the bad news, uh, which is always much more acceptable. Uh, and I, I really try to do that like at every level where uh, I'm not just telling you what's wrong, but I'm also telling you what to do about it. I like that. I like how, I like how it kind of plays into the, almost like the office politics a bit there too, like you were mentioning, especially if you're a junior, you don't want to go to 
you know, potentially a senior or the lead graphic designer or whoever and be like, hey, man, like we need a slightly lighter gray or darker gray or whatever we need. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that's that's interesting, too. And it, and it kind of sounds like I mean, so how so w- w- like with all this stuff, I haven't used Polypane myself, but with with all this with all these features as well, you mm-hmm. know, for the beginner dev, if you're if someone is starting out today. And let's yeah. say they 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 get into Polypane, they did they install it, whatever. Is there a certain configuration that maybe they should be using? Like, should they be turning off some features so they like, hey, don't don't look at these seventeen hundred things. Look at these <laughs> like ten, or like what what do you or just leave everything on and 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 it's okay? Or what, what what's your suggestion for that? Yeah, so I I think I do a pretty good job of like not shoving too much in your face. Um, like maybe Mike can can either you know agree or or give me some tips, uh, but uh, yeah. So Polypane by default starts with three sizes, like just as my first first prototype, um, and you can just use it as Chrome, right? You can just have those three sizes. Uh, and develop your web page and it just happens to be shown three times right. rather than once and you can ignore all the rest and that will already help you you know design for these different sizes absolutely yeah yeah there's nothing that that gets thrown in your face just to just to jump in with that uh when you first open it up uh matt there's no like configuration choosing or anything like that it's literally like three panes three different sizes of of the browser mm-hmm. all on one page and you kind of go from there and that's it it's just like like uh Killian said it's just like chrome but with the ability to see the three panes and then you can kind of progressively activate the features that you want um my one i guess my one like small suggestion would be to maybe like as the person is using it, show them what features, what other features are available, or maybe have a system where uh, they will get, you know, some tooltip notifications every once in a while saying like, hey, yeah. notice like there's a new feature here. Uh, because I, I, until you said that there was this feature that you could show all the media queries, right. like all the all the sites media queries, I didn't know that until right now, even though it's like it is an icon on the top there and it's there. <laughs> uh, but as soon as I pressed it, I'm like, holy crap like i see literally every media query that i've made all the different sizes are shown for me automatically that's super useful <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's a very cool uh feature so i just clicked on that and saw it real real time but yeah. in terms of for like a regular dev just starting out i don't think there's any barrier in my opinion i think it's just like a no-brainer for opening it up and being like oh that's what it does yeah yeah so it's like one of the things that are pretty difficult for me is to find that balance between like here are the hundreds of features that I've built and you know not like scaring developers away um, and also not being uh, too aggressive in look at this look at this because like we as developers we also just want to get work done and we already have like our set ways um, so yeah, you don't want to change too much at once. Absolutely. No, it's almost impossible to like lift someone out of their workflow entirely and then yeah. toss it. Like it's not like you're making this like the 
the via like VS code and a browser and, and, and right. And then people are like, Whoa, I'm mm-hmm. not changing my whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that, and, and that's like on the more like businessy SaaS sites, that's always something that I'm thinking about. Like, should there be like a forced tutorial? Um, should I, yeah, like you said, provide tool tips, uh, do I have to force people to watch a little video first so that they've seen like where everything goes? Um, and like very often, uh, I hear from developers, uh, and they say like, yeah, I just, I always click that away. Like right away. I just, <laughs> I just press the X and I, I, I figure it out myself. Uh, which then, you know, tells me like I can spend a whole bunch of time making like a really cool uh, like onboarding tutorial. But if like one in 10 people are going to see it even, then maybe I can better spend that time like building the next cool feature. Very good point. Even if you do all this cool stuff, probably 99% of people are just going <laughs> to dismiss it away and i'm probably one of them so uh, <laughs> people don't read emails this no. is you know no people don't even read emails we, are, we had an incident like incident uh you know this morning not going to get into it where people read emails and stuff already and like this is you know email's been around for a while so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know people are still not doing that that people are definitely going to just click through tutorials as well i guess like i guess there's like that um struggle too right because a lot of the time, you know, something won't stick in your brain unless you go and you use it. And if you yeah. go through a tutorial, uh, oftentimes it'll say like, I don't know, like an app, like a brand new app is bad for this, right? Mm-hmm. Just an app in general. It'll be like, go here, go here, go here, do this, that, this, that, this, that. And then at the end, I'm like, I don't know where the hell to go to press create. I'm just going to click these buttons and figure yeah. out where it is. Like, I can't remember. Exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a tough challenge to solve, and I don't I don't think anyone solved it perfectly. So maybe someone out there can create a SaaS app just for solving tutorial issues. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but before we move on to talking about SaaS and the management side of things yeah. and uh, creation, I just want to talk a little bit about accessibility because um, mm-hmm. I know that's kind of an important topic for you. So how would something like Polypane help with accessibility? Yeah. So. I, I think accessibility is the bedrock for a good website. So you can have you can have a gorgeous website, but if it's not accessible, no one's going to use it. Uh, you can have the fastest website in the world, but if it's not accessible, no one's going to use it. Um, if your website isn't accessible, ninety nine percent of the time, that also means that you're that you're not going to be found in search engines. Um, so like everything comes back to accessibility. Um, and regular browsers have done a really good job of pretending that developers don't have to care about that uh, because like most of it will just work. Like you can additive somewhere, make it look like a button and it acts like a button. But then if I try to interact with that button with my keyboard, for example, I can't, so it's not accessible. Um, 
and like in polypane I, I have this dual thing where i want to make it easier to make websites accessible uh, because like while there are very simple examples like the button like uh, you know there's a literal element called button use that if you want a button uh, but on the other hand it can also be really complicated to make a really good accessible website especially if it's like highly interactive um, and it's very easy to overlook stuff as well like color contrast uh, if you have like regular vision you can you can go very low in terms of contrast and and it will still be it will still look fine to you uh, but again it, it's not really accessible so what yeah i like on one side i really want to help people make it more accessible so there's like an accessibility audit and like the color contrast we talked about uh i'll, I'll give you tips in the site if you don't use the right heading structure um, because a lot of people with assistive technologies rely on like a decent heading structure to go around your website um, but then also like i want to use polypaint to create more empathy for like these issues uh, so for example it's really easy to emulate color blindness in polypaint which in itself is not like a super actionable thing, uh, except in like very specific circumstances where you use like a certain shade of red and a certain shade of green side by side and the difference is important. Well, you know, uh, if you do that, then a one in 10 mils is not going to see the difference between those colors. So that's something you want to fix, uh, but it like, 99% of the time, that's not going to be like the problem that you're facing, but it will inform how you look at websites and how you design websites. If you know, like some people are going to look at this amazing photograph that I've used as a header and it's going to be completely purple. Um, or uh, like some of the other stuff that I've built in are like, um, uh, cataracts and glaucoma, which are two, uh, like, uh, it, it blurs the vision, uh, but in like slightly different ways. Um, but then also like other emulators that I've built in are like bright sunshine and night mode, which are things that we actually all know. Like we all know what it's like to be outside and trying to look at your phone with a with very bright sunshine uh and, you know tilting the phone in hopes of making you know making it somewhat possible to read the text on on the screen and by combining that um yeah my hope is that people become more empathetic and, and more easily take this stuff into account as they develop and as they design where where in a developer's journey should accessibility fall? Because, you know, accessibility is important, but it's also, mm -hmm. you know, complex. And so someone who's, you know, starting their journey today or has recently started their journey, you know, where 
Mm. Where should accessibility come from? Like, should they be, let's say they do like the my first website, they build it um, with whatever they're using, React or regular vanilla or whatever it is, doesn't matter. Yeah. And then should they be trying to make that accessible right away? Should you practice just consistently making sites? And then once you've mastered them, then do the accessibility because accessibility uh, like features, can you can mm-hmm. also mess them up. Yeah, and so yeah, if you're yeah. bad at like the basics and you're bad at doing the features, now <laughs> it's just a disaster, right? Like just a total disaster. Yeah, so that's that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, so that, that there's one particular uh, part of accessibility features in browsers that's called ARIA, uh, which are these extra HTML attributes you can add to elements to get browsers to understand them better. And the first rule of area is don't use area if you don't have to. Uh, so it, and that's because if you build a website and you just use HTML, then you can make that accessible really easily uh, because it's just a matter of formatting uh, your text. You know, the most important title gets an H1 element. The second most important title, and that might be one or two or three ti- uh, titles, they get a heading two. Uh, and you go from that. If something's a list, then you use uh, an unordered list or an ordered list element, a UL or an OL. Um, and if you do that, you end up with a perfectly accessible website. It's only when you don't take that into account and you start from, you know, React uh, and you make everything a div that then untangling that and making it meaningful, like making the HTML meaningful becomes really difficult. So I think if you're starting out, you really have to look at like HTML CSS and then JavaScript. Uh, and one really cool concept there is the principle of least power, uh, which is a, a concept uh, that the W3C, uh, which is the organization that you know came up with all of this, uses. Uh, and what that basically means is try to do something in the least powerful language. And effectively, this means like, if you can do something in CSS, then don't do it in JavaScript. But if you can do something in HTML, then choose HTML because HTML again is is less powerful than CSS. A practical example of this is headings. So you can use CSS to make a certain text like big and bold and red, but that but you can also use HTML and wrap it in a heading one tag. And because you used HTML for that heading one tag, that text now automatically has more meaning and it's more usable for more people. And so I, yeah, that I, I really try to use that principle when I, when I build stuff. Uh, and you can also see stuff shift down, which is really, uh, 
really exciting. So stuff that used to be just possible in JavaScript, like having elements stick to the page as you scroll, that's now in CSS uh, with position sticky. Mm -hmm. And things that used to only be able in CSS, like if you hover over something or if you click something, something opens up or expands, that's now available in HTML with uh, details and summary elements that already have those semantics for you, where you can click on the summary and then uh, it expands to more text, like a like an FAQ style uh, question answer thing. Mm -hmm. So you can also see like the, the the languages evolve in this way, where like the they see a need that's being solved in a quote-unquote too powerful language and then they bring it down a level and make it available there and because you you bring it down to that less complicated language you know and, and i would say like html is the least complicated then css and then javascript which is not to say that like CSS is simpler than JavaScript because it's absolutely not, but it's it's definitely more self-contained. Um, yeah, so by bringing it down that level, it becomes much more manageable. That's yeah. I would say I I agree with all that because you know a bad habit even of mine is to just toss a div in. Like I'll be like, oh, I need this section or whatever I need to make. And I just like throw a div in and start mm -hmm. just like shape, like effectively shaping it. But lately yeah. I have found myself being like, no, like, you know, I should do an ordered list here or like, no, I should do, you know, some bullet points here or whatever it is, a numbered list, whatever. Um, instead, because it does make sense to just like let the HTML take it as far as it goes, the CSS, mm -hmm. as far as it goes, the JS or whatever you're using as far as it goes, rather than just like a div is great, you know, obviously divider or whatever, but it allows you to, it's kind of like giving you a blank slate and like, you don't always have to start from there. And, and like, it just makes more sense from accessibility and from a developer perspective to use the tools that are there rather than just reaching for like the generic tool every single time. And I think that's a really important point you made there. Yeah. And, and then like the, the mean thing there is that, as you're working in a browser, all browsers will happily let you use divs everywhere and you'll be none the wiser because it, it, it will work for you because you know, you're the one building it, you have your mouse, you can click all the things, it all just works. But it's that, that layer underneath uh, that makes it so that it, it won't work for everyone and it, it won't do well in Google. Uh, because you, you don't have the semantics, this meaning in your HTML. And this is so definitely, I, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I, like, I, I really think uh, like browsers in general should have like more strict rules as you're developing, which is what I have in Polypane. Like Polypane will happily break in a number of ways if you have like crappy server settings or broken HTML. Um, whereas like Firefox and, and Google Chrome will try to compensate for 
issues you have, which is what they should do because they're a consumer product, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if uh, if your parents want to go to Facebook and they forget to type www dot, uh, then your browser will happily add that for you if needed, even if the server hasn't configured that. Right. Uh, which is like what you want to happen. But as you're developing a website, you want your browser to tell you, hold up, your server doesn't actually understand what you're trying to do now. So maybe that's something you should fix. And then that should also happen, I think, for developers, like when they add images without an alt attributes or when they add divs that act like buttons with like JavaScript on-click handlers rather than just using normal buttons and links. I think I think that's those are also good points because the thing is too is if you really think about it, um, the consumer product can compensate, but the consumer product always compensates in different ways. So it's like Google handles it this way. Microsoft, yeah. even though it's using Chromium, uses it. You know, compensates it for it this way, and so you know having it fixed at the root makes it the most stable I'd say and the most mm-hmm. like foundationally sound yeah. and that just makes the most sense that's kind of why people nowadays suggest to learn vanilla html css js rather than just mm-hmm. jumping in uh, or maybe jQuery as we discussed here and there uh, depending on your your use case but the point is is to get as close basically to the the browser or an embedded yeah. program that we say as close to the metal as you can get <laughs> exactly I think this just kind of adds to our original uh, advice to junior developers and people starting out of, you know, not only do you learn HTML, JavaScript, CSS, but learn them in maybe that order or sorry, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Uh, That's something that I've always kind of struggled with advice because some people are like, well, I don't really care about the layouts or something like that. So I'll just be like, okay, well, just go to JavaScript if you want to just kind of be a developer. But really, Mm -hmm. if you're going to be developing a full scale application, full stack application, uh, you should at least understand the basics of HTML structure. And by going in and diving into the basics of HTML, you're all of a sudden learning accessibility uh, without even knowing it. Because if you're using the button tags and the H tags and uh, the list tags and all the different inputs in the right way without having the crutch of JavaScript or CSS to lean on, uh, you'll learn them in the right way. <laughs> you won't have to lean on the crutches. And then when you yeah. go in and start learning CSS, yeah, you're going to be styling the the buttons and stuff like that, but you're going to be styling them in the right way. So I think that is, that's a really good point, Killian. The, that progression makes the most sense for someone that wants to become a, you know, a full stack web developer, not a full stack, a front end web developer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool. Um, but w- with that, I think, uh, Let's move on to a little bit of the SaaS discussion, a little bit of sure. your process discussion. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about how you started uh, Polypane, why you started it. Uh, but I'm just wondering, I'm just curious, what was really the jump off point where you're like, you know what, this is a application that's going to be like, you know, I'm going to make it a paid application. Uh, and right. then along with that, like, what was your process of being like, Okay, should it be, you know, a one-time payment or a SaaS or a free trial? Like, mm-hmm. all, all of that. So, just going to pass it off to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, like like I said, I started this as a as a side project, or you know, just as I, I'm building this app to solve my own problem. Um, and at the time, I was running an internet agency, so you know, I had a team building websites for everyone that wanted one. Uh, but by that time, I had already been doing it for over a decade. And honestly, I was getting kind of bored by it. Like there, there's only so many times you can explain why, you know, the color pink isn't the right color for a given <laughs> website, even if they really, really like that color. Um, so I like I had this going. Uh, I I knew that I was like more than twice as productive with it, uh, and I started like sharing it with uh, with friends, uh, and and they had all sorts of of input as well, like the the screenshots, um, like the the screenshotting con concept, uh, and like yeah, there there just came a time where like one and one is two. Like I have this really cool thing, and now I'm doing a thing that you know I'm I'm good at, but I'm not really enjoying anymore. So I I made the switch. Um, you know, said goodbye to the agency life and started working on uh, on Polypain full time. Um. And then, you know, what's interesting is the, when you do that, then suddenly you have to do all sorts of stuff that's not working on Polypane. So I had to figure out like, how do I, yeah, indeed like sell the application. And then when I sell it, how do I make sure that only the people that have the application or that have a license can use the application. Uh, so I had to write my own license server and my own, like business logic and backend, and then I had to build a marketing site because you know you have to have a marketing site if you want to sell anything. Um, so like as I was doing that, um, you know, I, I figured out like what would make the most sense like for me, as well as for people using Polypane, and. At the time, and now still, I have about five years worth of features ahead of me. Um, and, I, and I use like customer inputs to prioritize that. Uh, but I, like, I can keep going for years. Um, and what I really didn't want to do is with each feature that I implemented, you know, make this this trade-off, like, do I want to put it in this version or do I want to keep it hidden so I can put it in the next version and, and make that more attractive for people to upgrade or whatever, you know, do a, a like a yearly update or a, a one, two, three, four, five uh, version. Uh, and like, I really didn't want to do that. I, I, you know, when I had a feature, I just wanted everyone to have it uh, because, you know, I think it would make their life better. Uh, and and I, it doesn't feel good to make that trade-off. Like, you know, I have this feature that can be really meaningful to a lot of people, 
but I'm not going to give it to them because I want them to pay me again. Um, you know, that's, yeah, that just didn't feel fun to me. Uh, so I figured like, what is a model that would work, uh, which is the SaaS model, uh, because then it doesn't matter like how many releases I do, uh, because anyone that's currently subscri subscribed gets all the updates. And I can just, you know, right now I do one or two releases each month. Uh, and like one of them will have a bunch of new features. And then the other one, I'll sneak in a few extra that like didn't make the cut for the previous version. Uh, and that makes, makes me really agile because I can, uh, you know, like, for example, yesterday, someone asked me for a feature uh, that made it possible to go from the Polypane developer tools to the Chromium developer tools with a single click. Um, so that, you know, the element you had selected would also be selected in the, the Chrome dev tools if you want to use that instead. Um, so yeah, I built that this morning and I'll, I'll release it uh, in the coming week. Um, and I can, you know, I can just do that. How do you uh, like how how do you balance your time? Because from what I understand, you're a solo developer on this, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is your thing. Uh, you don't have a team working for you, so you have to balance kind of balance your time between the de feature development as well yeah. as the marketing uh, side of things, as well as any sort of other in between like communication stuff. How do you balance your time? Yeah. Is it like a set? You know, I do this in the morning and I do this at night, or is it just kind of free for all? Uh, yeah. So. One of my shortcomings still is that I really like working on the product. Um, but I like I do try to get myself some sort of structure. So what I try to do is uh, I really have like a, a week planning where Monday morning is all my admin stuff. So, you know, processing invoices, uh, doing all sorts of like all the really boring stuff happens on Monday morning because then I'll have the rest of the week where I can do more interesting things. Um, and then per day, I really try to do in the morning, I work on the product and in the afternoon, I, uh, I work on the rest, which can be like updating the marketing site or writing an article or doing outreach or, you know, all these things. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes those blend into each other or, you know, I, I work a little bit longer on the product or start a little bit earlier on, you know, an article that I I was writing, writing the day before and just want to continue writing. Um, and then in terms of like support, uh, I just do that all day, uh, all day round because uh, I try to make it really easy to have people give me feedback. So there's like, there's chat in the app, there's chat on the website. Uh, I send all emails with my personal email. So, you know, any email you receive, you can reply and it goes straight to me. Uh, there's a, a Slack channel for Polypane that you can, you can hang out in. Uh, there's Twitter, of course. 
so I, you know, I just do that in between other stuff and that, that works fairly well for me because I, I don't have like a, a huge ramp up to getting into flow. I know some people do, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I can fairly easily get back to where I was. Um, so that, yeah, that's roughly what my, what my days and my weeks look like. Yeah. So that's, that's really like, it's important to understand, I think for the people listening out there, uh, that doing stuff, something like this on your own is definitely like a lot of work, but it's doable, right? Cause I know a lot of people are scared of the fact that, oh, I'll release this application and, I'm going to get bogged down with service requests and I won't be able to yeah. manage them on my own. I'm going to get bogged down with feature requests. I won't be able to manage them. I'm going to get, mm -hmm. you know, bogged down with bugs and all that. Like, um, is that something that you experienced, would you say, or is it, uh, you know, as you're, as you've grown, it's kind of grown steadily, but not like a crazy spike or anything like that. So I, I try to be really upfront with people. Um, so if, if people have a feature request, like I, I can usually estimate like when I'll get to it. Um, so I'll, I'll just, you know, tell them uh, like I'm, I'm planning to do this, but probably three or four releases from now, stuff like that. Or yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, you know, this will take me half an hour. I'll put it in the next release. Um, and then what, what, what also really helps is, uh, I do spend a lot of time on the documentation, um, which is not like the most interesting work, uh, but, uh, I personally always really like it when a tool I use has good documentation. So I figured like I'm a developer, I'm building something for developers, other developers probably enjoy that as well. Um, and I think that also cuts down on, uh, on support. Like if people can just find what they're looking for on your website and it's not hidden away or, you know, in, in some slow support ticketing database system somewhere, um, then yeah, then that really helps, I think. So you, you can you can preempt some of the stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and it, this is a full time gig at this point. Did it start as a side hustle and become full time? Or was it something uh, that you kind of just jumped in both feet first, no income coming from it? And you knew that, you know, in X amount of time, you yeah. you were going to get income. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like I, I used to run an internet agency, but I like I left there uh, before Polypane was a paid product. Um, so I could spend like all my time full time, you know, getting all the auxiliary stuff up and running, like the license server and the marketing website and the, all the legal stuff that's required when you have to, you know, set up a company proper. Um, so yeah, that, that took me a good few months to, to get set up. Uh, I, I did take that slowly, uh, because, you know, I have been running a company for over a decade. So, you know, I've, I, I 
in that time, I never had a vacation longer than two weeks. So, you know, I started my journey with a one month vacation, uh, which I managed three weeks of, but I still count that as a win. And uh, yeah, and, and just went from there. Yeah, that's awesome. Us developers really suck at taking time off. I realize. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I have the same problem where like I need to take a, you know, a week off or in a weekend off and I have sometimes issues not checking my phone or not checking, mm-hmm. you know, the status of all the sites that I'm managing and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if that's inherent to being a developer or it's just kind of like maybe the entrepreneurial mindset is well, too uh, much. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's a creativity thing uh, and, and like programming just happens to be our medium. Uh, so, you know, as developers, we build stuff during the day and then to relax, we build other stuff in the evening or on the weekends, uh, because, you know, we want that other stuff to exist or it, it, it's more fun. Uh, but like when you get down to it, you're still doing the same thing, right? <laughs> you're programming like both at your job and whatever thing you do on the site. Um, but one of them is relaxation. Uh, so, yeah, th- I mean, that's also a, like a balance, I think. Like sometimes working on a site project is relaxation and then sometimes it's not. Uh, and you just have to pause it or, you know, move on to a different site project. And that's how it goes. Yeah. Finding that balance for the side projects to find a project that does give you relaxation is super key. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've definitely bit off a lot more than I could chew sometimes. And uh, it's definitely kind of hindered some uh, <laughs> some of my side projects. But when I find something that I'm genuinely interested in working on and mm-hmm. I just treat it, very much like a side project. Like sometimes uh, we've had an episode in the past where we're like side project, side project for side hustle. They're two different things, right? And if you treat a side project uh, like a side project, you can kind of get more of a lax attitude towards it. You can, you can still be programming, but still be having fun at the same time. Or if it's Mm -hmm. a side hustle that you're kind of relying on to generate income that all, all of a sudden puts this pressure on you and now you're going from like your work which has pressure on you to something else on the side that has pressure on you yeah uh and that can kind of overwhelm someone and give them you know burnout and all that so it's an interesting perspective to find that balance get Mm -hmm. a project that you're enjoying working on as a side project if you really like programming uh and try to find it so that you're not overwhelming yourself during the day and burning out that's for sure yeah um, yeah, and, and like I realized that I'm I'm really fortunate that like right now I I don't have anyone telling me what to do, and I get to work on the thing I want to work on whenever I want to work on it. Um, because you know my side project is my project, in in a sense. Um, and yeah, like for some people that might not work. Like other people might want more structure, uh, but but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, the one thing I was going to say too is it's it, it's a struggle because 
and we've had this discussion on another one of our episodes too, but it's a struggle because there's some people that just are, you know, full programming or full develop like web development, uh, twenty four seven. That's all they do. They, you know, uh, eat, sleep, eat, sleep, drink, whatever, uh, web development. But then there's other yeah. people that aren't like that where, you know, they do that. That's their career. That's their job. But then mm-hmm. they, you know, they want to do the job. And then at the end of the eight hours or whatever, they want to go and do something else, fishing or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, they want to go do something else. And then that's where, you know, the struggle comes in because they can see their peers, you know, expanding their skill set or mm-hmm. expanding, you know, their side projects into side hustles or whatever the case may be. Whereas they haven't grown as much because they haven't put in the time, but it's not like they have yeah. to. You know, it's like that weird balance. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I do think. Like when it comes down to it, I don't work much more than eight hours a day because at the end of the day, I'm just tired. Like after dinner, I'm tired and I need to do something else. Uh, It doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about stuff and like not constantly writing stuff down, but I'm not programming. And I'm, and I'm, I'm of the opinion that I don't think you can program on something on the same thing for 12 hours straight. Uh, or that if you do, uh, you end up having to take four hours of the next day to compensate for the four hours of the day before uh, to you know, get it right again. Um, and I, yeah, I've, I've seen that happen where you know, people work until late into the night uh, repeatedly but it only meant that they were, you know, starting four steps behind the next day uh, because they, they didn't have the focus anymore. Uh, and they would have been better off, uh, like, adjusting their tempo uh, or at least adjusting, like, the hours worked. So, like, I really wouldn't want to tell people that you need to code all the time to be left behind and that in fact it might be a detriment because there come there does come a point like you make a really good point because there does come a point in your work cycle where you just can't keep going like last night actually mm-hmm. as, like as soon as last night for me we're just getting swamped right now like as we said in the last episode and and i was doing we, we have a client that really likes uh the webflow editor so one of his sites mm-hmm. is on webflow so i was on there and sure it's webflow it's no code whatever but like it still takes a level of expertise and you know whatever and i was sitting there it was like two in the morning and i realized i had just been sitting looking at a table for 15 minutes yeah and i was like oh i better i'm just gonna stop because i've effectively stopped like involuntarily at this point mm-hmm. you know it's just there comes a point where it's like i'm no longer useful <laughs> i'm no longer useful here i have to walk yeah. away yeah yeah, and I, I, I think that that's not even like the worst you can do. Uh, like you can also spend two hours coding a function only to come back to it the next day and figuring out that, you know, you weren't paying attention because you're just really tired. You were just really tired uh, and you have to redo the entire function because you didn't account for, you know, whatever you should have accounted for. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and that and that also comes down to like as well if you're stuck on that function, like you're trying to troubleshoot, mm-hmm. you know, coming back to it in the morning or just the next day, whatever, refresh to an extent. Yeah. It, you can sometimes finish it in 10 minutes whereas you were, you know, struggling for god knows how long, an hour, two hours. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. So yeah, that's uh, that's a really good point. I think it's it, it is important to strike that balance uh, and make sure that you're not <laughs> overwhelming yourself because everything is going to go down at that point. And it's important for employers as well uh, to know that. I know I've had some some issues or in the past, and I've heard of some issues where employers will expect you to work like you know forty to fifty to sixty hours a week. I mean, forty is pretty normal, but uh, mm-hmm. fifty and sixty in a development job is a little bit much uh, yeah. to, to be coding for that long per week. So you're only kind of hurting your developers. Now, some people thrive on being able to just code, 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 code. Uh, and that's fine. But the same standard shouldn't be put on everyone. Everyone kind of has their own effectiveness. And some people yeah. can be just as effective as someone in four hours that uh, can, you know, that does the same amount mm-hmm. of work in like eight or 10. So yep. it's just important to kind of evaluate that but it's it's also very difficult obviously as an employer or something um, yeah it, it, it's really difficult to compare productivity between people uh but i do think it's something that can be coached um like you know i i i was an employer uh so i, I i've done coaching in that way uh you can make people more productive uh, like not forcefully, but just by giving them more insights into you know, the way they're thinking, what they're doing, um, and and yeah, part of that is realizing that uh, a developer can be as productive in four hours uh, as they can be in eight, uh, and and for that to mean and and for that not to mean that they can then do like two days of work in one day of work, uh, but that, you know, they can do the programming stuff in four hours and then spend the other four hours doing, uh, you know, either stuff that makes them even better or uh, non-programming tasks that they, that they enjoy doing or want to get better at. Um, so yeah, I, I think as a developer yourself, and especially if you're a junior, that's really something to be mindful of as well. Like you don't have to program eight hours a day. Uh, there's there's other stuff you can do to you know to also bring value to the company, um, and you can you can get to that by making yourself more productive and then making yourself more productive not is not always like typing faster but it's it's usually just like working smarter uh like if you're a junior developer don't ask something if you've been stuck on something for an hour uh ask something if you've been stuck on something for five minutes you know maybe five minutes is is not long enough and then you know try 10 minutes but it's stuff like this where, you know, especially as a junior, you have to realize that everyone else that works at the same company is there to help you. So make use of that. Uh, and by, by doing that, you'll become more productive as well. 
Yeah. That, yeah, that, that's good advice because uh, I know a lot of juniors and a lot of uh, new developers and even old, like senior developers, myself included, uh, have an issue asking for help. Like I always, I always ask for help essentially in the last grasp, <laughs> mm-hmm. like when I've, you know, on the third page of Google, that's when I know, <laughs> that's when I know I need to ask for help. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, that, that's been kind of my metric, but uh, sometimes that could be like, you know, an hour or two. When I can yeah. just go to the forum, ask like a you know a different a developer that I know, yeah. and they could point me in the right direction. Because it's not always like when people ask for help. Uh, th- another thing that they should realize is that it's not always going to be like, oh, this is exactly what the the answer to your question. A lot of the time, a developer will help you find the answer to your question faster, not mm-hmm. just give you the answer. And that's in itself is a really important skill to pass on that finding the answer part. Uh, yeah. So it, that is something that you can accelerate quicker if you're going to ask for help because people are going to show you their process of figuring out the answer. So like if you ask someone, a developer, uh, a question, may, if they don't know it right away, they'll be like, oh, let me see. Let me see how I Google it. And then take a look how they go through the process of mm-hmm. finding the answer. And then you can apply that to your own problems. Yeah. My, my, my one advice would be really make that time dependent. So make sure you're aware when you get stuck just that that can be difficult to be aware of as well when you're you know you're a junior developer like you don't know if you're stuck or you just you know don't know um, how to do something Uh, but make it time dependent say you know i'm stuck now if i'm still stuck in 15 minutes and i haven't made progress i'm gonna ask someone and just stick to that 15 minutes, even if it feels like too short. And even if it feels like you think it's something you should already know. Uh, ma- yeah, like make the feedback cycle smaller is basically what it is. Yeah, cool. I'm, I might even use that advice, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> cool. Um, and so just to kind of, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of our conversation here, but I do want to talk a little bit about the tech stack behind yeah. Polypane. So I'm wondering if you can kind of take us through, um, what, what, how you're running it. Yeah. So, um, Polypane is built on Chromium, uh, which is what Google Chrome also uses. And it's built on Chromium using the Electron framework. And Electron basically takes uh, Node.js and Chromium and smashes them together. Uh, and that allows you to make desktop applications because the, the Chrome parts lets you render a UI uh, as web pages. And then the Node.js parts lets you communicate with the operating system. Um, and I, I have been building desktop apps for quite a while before I, I, uh, started using polypane. Um, long time ago, I used to do that in Python, uh, cause that was like one of the more accessible ways to build desktop UIs. Uh, and then like shortly there came a bunch of desktop frameworks that were using web technologies. And then Electron is one of the more recent ones and that came out of the Atom text editor uh, by GitHub. 
uh, and I like I really liked using that because it it was even simpler than you know writing Python or some of the other um, web-based stuff uh, that was out there at the time. So I wanted to do something with Electron. Is basically what uh, what drove me to to try this out. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to do something with was React, uh, which at the time was at version 0 0.13. Uh, so <laughs> this was a while ago. Um, so I yeah I combined the two, started working on it, uh, and like to this day, it's that's basically the the tech stack of the application. So it's built in Electron. All the browser UIs is using React. Uh, and then I've just, you know, strung JavaScript throughout uh, all the all the stuff that I'm I'm writing. So the license servers in JavaScript, the marketing site is written in Gatsby, uh, which also uses React to make static websites, uh, and that you know that helps me keep in the same mental model, no matter what part I touch or what part I work on. Uh, so that's really nice. And then in terms of UI, uh, I don't use any UI frameworks for, for Polypane. Uh, so it's all like just custom elements and CSS. Um, because at the time there was nothing really that worked well uh, everywhere. So Polypane works on all three operating systems. So no, there's more, but it, it works on the three major operating systems, so Mac, Windows, and Linux. And there were a couple of really nice frameworks that you can use to make Electron apps that look just like macOS applications. But if you run that on Windows, it would look terrible next to all the other applications. And then the same for when you run it on Linux. Um, so instead, I, I wrote a custom UI. And that's, yeah, that's that's basically the tech stack. It's pretty flat. Which uh, which Linux distros do you specifically design for, like Ubuntu or? Uh, yeah, so I, I've been a Ubuntu user for, I think, 15 years now. So I, I, I built on Ubuntu. Um, and then that means that it also works on anything related to Ubuntu soon. Uh, you know, Linux Mint, Elementary, uh, Debian even. Uh, but I also uh, export to an app image, uh, which is uh, like a little self-contained application and that can run basically anywhere. Okay. That's cool. What's yeah, so it, it, it was really important for me to have the app be available everywhere because... Um, yeah, I like I have all three operating systems uh, because I need to test on them, but also because I think it's it's good to uh, to have access to all of those. And Mac users get the best apps, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I I didn't want to make an app just for Mac. I, I want my apps to be used everywhere, uh, and somewhat selfishly, I want to be able to develop the app on my favorite operating system, which happens to be Ubuntu. 
Oh, you don't want to you don't want to start the the OS wars in this place. We've had a couple episodes where it's just been a massive OS war. Who's <laughs> who's best? I don't I don't know where I, I don't know where Mike sits now, but I'm full. I'm a full Microsoft guy uh, all the way for everything. Uh-huh. So I got Windows everywhere. And uh, if if I had to use a Mac, I would use it in the cloud. And I don't like Linux right. unless I'm using a server. So like it just lighten the match in here. You got to be careful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, like as I said, I use all three. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I have a preference, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the most diplomatic war yeah. we've ever had. <laughs> Diffusing the situation <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um, one one kind of selfish question, just because I've always wondered it, uh, for, with Chromium, when you build on top of Chromium, and especially when you're building a browser on top of it, mm-hmm. do you have to handle the updates to Chromium that happen every, like, second that it seems? Or does Chromium itself kind of get updated automatically on your end? How does that work? Uh, no, so that's uh, linked to the Electron version. So uh, each Electron version will be linked to a major Chromium version. So right now, the, the latest release of Electron is on Chromium 89, which is also the, the latest Chromium release. So they go more or less hand in hand. They release on the same day. Um, and then, you know, there, there will be patch releases for Electron, uh, when there's patch releases for Chromium. And the reason Electron does this is because then you don't have a moving target. Like once you ship the app, you're guaranteed a particular rendering engine. Yeah, that's smart. Um, Yeah. And, uh, because you're a desktop application you already have much more access to the operating system than a browser. So uh, so yeah, for security updates are important, of course, uh, but it's not like Chromium where, where there's uh, like access escalation because th- there already is like very crudely said. <laughs> Yeah, you're also not designing for the masses, like you know. No, no. You're designing for developers, so it's not as important with the to be super, super up to date. But does it? Well, so it's like it, it. It's not super important to be on the latest patch release, but I do think it's really important to be on the latest Chromium release. So I, I, I try to be like within a few days of each major Chromium release, with Polypane as well. Uh, because of course we are developers and when we know that chromium for example has aspect ratio in css we want to play with it right uh so yeah i i really try to have polypane be up to date with uh, with chromium whenever i can that makes sense uh is it a pain to update or is it usually really smooth like just you know it, it de- depends on what what's in the updates. I've, I've gotten pretty good at it, I think. Uh, you know, uh, given that I can release like on or slightly before the Chromium release. Um, because uh, like a Chromium release will have been out for a while as a beta before it's crowned stable. Um, but like it really depends on on the change set. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, that's a, it's good. It's good to know, regardless, uh, that your app is constantly updated, especially because it's a developer tool. You want to be kind of on the latest uh, Chromium for sure. And I was just wondering again <laughs> how mm-hmm. that whole process is. I, fe- I I thought it would be more of like a nightmare, uh, but I guess it's a little bit more at least adaptable. Like you can eventually adapt to it. Yeah. So that if you look at, for example, um, like the the Brave browser they they use chromium directly and then uh and and that includes the chromium ui which they've made changes to and patches to so i think they have a harder time than me because i i really only need like the chromium rendering engine like i i don't take any of their ui i don't need any of their uh ui specific changes uh, I just need them to render a page, uh, which I think makes it s- slightly simpler. It's interesting. I mean, you think it would be counterintuitive, right? Uh, because you're you're the one that has to maintain the whole UI, but for mm-hmm. because of that, you don't have to worry about updating their UI stuff on your end. Uh, whereas exactly. Edge Chromium and Brave Chromium, they kind of rely on Chrome's UI. A little yeah. bit, so that's why they're a little bit lagging behind. Always, I, I believe Edge Chromium lags behind. Um, still, does it not? No, Edge is Edge is pretty good, but Microsoft has a pretty large team nowadays <laughs> working on Edge. Yeah, I could imagine. Not not just one person. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's cool though. Um, I think we're going to be wrapping it up now. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of going to pass it off to you to do any sort of self plugs that you have, or any sort of you know fa- farewell messages that you have to our listeners. Yeah. So uh, if any of this sounded interesting, uh, please try out Polypane. Uh, you can get it at polypane.app or polypane.com or polypane.dev because I'm also a compulsive domain buyer. <laughs> uh, you can try it for free for 14 days so that's more than enough time uh you know to to take it for a spin and to uh to try it out uh i'm at killian velkov on twitter um my own personal site is killianvelkov.com so feel free to reach out uh if you have questions or feedback or uh feature requests for polypane i'm always happy to to talk and uh, and to hear ideas. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Thank you very much for uh, thank you very much for all the insight and uh, conversation. And um, yeah, uh, to the listener out there, everyone, go check out Polypane um, and uh, make sure you give that a go and uh, learn those uh, learn those accessibility development skills as well with a little bit of help from Polypane as well as we discussed. Uh, and, uh, thank you, uh, Killian for being on the show and, um, thanks for having me. No problem. And, uh, we'll hopefully have you back in the future. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Killian. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we did. A bunch of great insights, uh, in there, a bunch of, uh, uh, visual basic knowledge. Sure. I, I, I lost my train of thought, but a bunch of visual basic knowledge, not a bunch. There's like two questions uh, in there as well, but a bunch of, a bunch of SAS talk, a bunch of stuff about polypane um, and uh, a lot of good insights there. So hope you enjoyed uh, that, but moment of anticipation, moment of truth, maybe 
the weekly growth goal. Mike, please, sir, tell us all about how complete your weekly growth goal is. You bastard. You set me up to fail. So I'm blaming it all on Matt. He caused me to fail my weekly growth goal. It was only and all on his shoulders, but uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so my last weekly growth goal was to create show notes uh, for older episodes. So I was going to create a show note for the recent interview that show notes for the recent interview we had with Monarch and post them on dev.2. Um, and my idea is I want to create like a template that I can follow for all the other episodes so I can kind of slowly put them all on dev.2 until we have our website up. Um, I did get it started, but I didn't finish because what happened was I had a bunch of other writing that I had to do. I have to answer some questions, and then I also had to create these show notes with Killian. Uh, so that kind of took priority, and I'm still going to be working on those show notes. I do want to get that like a solid template done so that it becomes easier as I go of just kind of, you know, this is what I do to create the show notes and this is what I do to post them and stuff like that. So I am going to invest a little bit of time into that this week and hopefully have the first show notes up and posted by next week. All right. Well, I mean, I didn't say it for failure. You did that to yourself, but I'm not much better. got to slide that little insult in there. Uh, I'm not much better because I don't know what my weekly growth goal was. Uh, I don't remember what it was last week, but I have good reason. And that's because we are getting slammed with work here. Um, like I said, the, the famine is on the horizon, but the feast is in, in due course. I don't know if that's how you, that sounds very like medieval times. Sounds like a, trying to talk like a king in like a castle in like a weird movie or something. But, uh, the feast is, is, is currently happening and, uh, it's overflowing. It's, it's just too much. Um, luckily though, I was able to finish some stuff just completely. So, we had a couple of projects, uh, we still do, but we had a couple of projects go on the go, and the goal, maybe this was my weekly growth goal, see what I mean? I'm just all over the place, uh, was to complete 50% of each of the two projects, each of the two big ones, last week, and then come in and do, uh, or maybe that was two weeks ago. See, this this is a disaster. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 you, you've got to record it. You've got to. You, I've got to get this app done, the weekly growth goals app, so you can start monitoring and recording <laughs> your weekly growth goals. Like, I, I mean, it's no joke. It's... I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, the point of the matter is one of the two projects, we're, I was trying to shoot for 50% of both of them to be completed. Both One of them is is actually complete. I just have to do the training portion of it. I'm not going to get into what they are, but it's a client project. The second one is at about, I'm going to say 70%. I'm almost done all the structure and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to go do and like, you know, put the, you know, I'll make this border nicer. This doesn't load right. A little bit of responsivity problem here, etc. So I'm going to do, and I'm going to go and I'm going to fix that um later so i'm gonna say 70 percent of that done but another project came in our laps which is more logistics than anything else i had to learn a couple things whatever because i wasn't sure on a couple things um which i learned whatever that's fine but it's just a matter of like communication which of course just takes time in, in due course set it again and so that's where i'm at so i am all over the damn place. I realized that I haven't, I was supposed to join a couple of discords and I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't, re I didn't remember to do, although it's early anyway here, but like, I didn't remember to do my personal taxes. <laughs> like I, I, someone was supposed to call me and I don't even know when, uh, I didn't, I just realized I didn't write down an appointment I got this week. So like, it's, it's not looking good. <laughs> 
it's not looking good for me or my weekly growth goal or whatever. All I'm doing at this point is we're just at a point where I got to grind and just get stuff done, finish that 70%, let's say, and whatever. So I don't have a specific goal other than this week other than to basically keep my head above water because I got a bunch of stuff that just needs to get done at different paces based on communication and blah, blah, blah. So I'm just going to try to get a whole bunch done. The good news, the good news is that I believe we're growing. Mike and my company, I think, is growing at this point. Usually it's like I got one project on the go and then like another project kind of slides in and that's what screws me over. This is like I got two on the go and then one slid in and like there's an actually another one coming in as well. So I think we're kind of growing, whether this is just like a fad or whatever, I don't know. Um, but I mean, one can hope because we also got maintenance of a bunch of other people's stuff, which is, you know, we're kind of trying to keep them uh, above, uh, but like keep keep their sites up, whatever, uh, and do whatever maintenance needs to be done there as well. So it's there's a lot going on. So I ain't complaining. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so I don't have a week of growth other than to keep myself, uh, keep my head above water this week. Uh, and I don't know if that's worse. You know what? Mike's, Mike, Mike's situation was worse. I'll just say that. Uh, Mike's. Okay, Mike's well, performance. First, this first of all, I, I was gonna be supportive of you and be like, "That is a good week of goal just to survive." But now I'm just gonna shit on you and say that no, your situation is worse. What? You failed. Oh, wait a second here. Wait a second here. We can rewind. We can. In this case, we can literally rewind the tape, and then you could say the good stuff, and then I can just rip on you later. <laughs> like I could just edit it in where it's like, "Man, Mike, Mike sucks." You know, whatever. And then, uh, but yeah. That's that's what's going on. Oh, also, I also forgot. This is this is crazy too, crazy for us. We recorded a, we, a web news last week. I forgot we did literally entirely. <laughs> and then I was I was sitting on like this is after work. I was sitting on my Xbox talking to a friend, and I was like, we recorded a web news, and I just I don't even know what the status of that is. Like it's done, like it's recorded, but I don't think I edited it. I don't even know where it is. <laughs> so, oh yeah, it's uh. You know, it's going well. <laughs> so, anyway, got to get a couple of these projects out of the way, get them done as quickly as I can uh, at the quality that we would like to, just so that they get out of the way. And that's just about it on that. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. Hope you enjoyed this weekly girl, growth goal banter and whatnot. Uh, and remember, if you want to support the show because you liked it so much, because I know you I know you did. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers. Give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, of which you could be one of them. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on SelfmadeWebDesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker at TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io. Bib Hashdash from 9BlockMedia on 9BlockMedia.com. And Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com, where you can also find our show. I also was supposed to do something for Jason, and I forgot to do that. So if you're listening to this, Jason, now you know what happened. But anyway, <laughs> feel free to leave a comment <laughs> or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. Hopefully I remember to answer those comments. And we are signing off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. 
web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.